Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Cast episode 655, 65 years of space and the Sputnik 1 anniversary. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts based journey through the cosmos where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. I'm Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today. I've been a space and astronomy journalist for over 20 years. With me, as always, is Dr. Pamela Gay, a senior scientist for the Planetary Science Institute and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I I am doing well. It is starting to be fall. We we have experienced the equinox. RA has reset to its zero point. Life is good. Unless you are the space launch system. Oh, I you know, you know, that is my Gen X constantly pessimistic joy of the week because it's just sort of like just sit back eat popcorn and watch it dance it's going back and forth and back and forth going to to launch not going to launch i don't feel any of that i feel just the anxiety of the tens of thousands of people who worked on this and they really needed to launch to restore their honor i uh, i feel for them and i want this thing to fly i don't i don't want it to fly very often i don't want to fly beyond the number of times they've built this but i but it's already built and now i want it to fly yes it deserves to launch but i can enjoy the dance speaking of space flight it's been about 65 years since the soviets launched the first orbital satellite into low earth orbit sputnik one now there are thousands of satellites in orbit with tens of thousands on the way let's look at the impact that Sputnik had on the history of spaceflight. All right, so first question then, what is the actual exact date of the anniversary? October 4th, 1957. We are at 65 years. And it's kind of glorious because that means three generations of people have got to benefit from spaceflight. 14 years before I was born. More like 16 for you-ish. Yeah. I'm yeah. a baby. <laughs> um, but it's... It, so, I mean, really, our lifetimes have been spaceflight. There's been space flight happening for our entire lives. Now, it, the story of Sputnik is a really cool one because 
what what was really cool about this is the leaders of the two countries were really trying to both one up themselves. And first, the Soviet leader and then Eisenhower here in the U.S. said that in the geophysical year of science, we are going to launch something into space. And and the Soviets got there first, and they really wanted to make a splash with what they were doing. So Sputnik, which is just like. 20-something inches wide and with these couple of feet long antennae, it it launched and it wasn't just a spot in the sky with its highly polished outer shell. It was also transmitting at 20 and 40 megahertz, which are frequencies that, well, any radio, ham radio operator can listen to. And so as it went around the planet... Every 0.3 seconds, either a 20 hertz signal came or a 40 hertz signal came. They were alternating the two so that they could actually study our ionosphere and other aspects of our atmosphere. And anyone could just go outside, look up, see this strange new traveler. Mm. And, and the name Sputnik actually means travel together. And they could use a ham radio to listen and... Back then, ham radios were much more common than they are today because... No internet. <laughs> right. No internet. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's just kind of amazing. So, so like, the purpose of Sputnik literally was to just go beep in, yeah. those, in those radio spectra. Yes, to go beep over and over and over in those radio spectra. And... It actually caused an entire generation of children here in the U.S. to say, all right, I'm going to do something that no one else has ever done before. I'm going to figure out how to make a rocket rocket. And I think the most famous group of humans to ever do this is, is a group that was called the Rocket Boys. And and this this is like where we start talking about... Uh, he always went by Sonny, Sonny Hickam, uh, Quentin Wilson, Jimmy O'Dell, Homer Carol, Hickam. Homer Hickam. But he, he actually in real life goes by Sonny because mm, okay, he's, okay. he's the second in his family. So right. Homer Hickam Jr., in, in reality, people just call him Sonny. And so there's this whole group of kids. It started with just four, the four you see in the movie, October Skies. But the next year there were six of them. And, and what I really love is they had the Big Creek Missile Agency was what they called their collection of people that were working to build rockets and go to the science fair. Did you know that that Rocket Boys is an anagram for October Sky? No. No, I did not. Yeah, if you scramble, I don't know if anagram is the right word, but if you scramble the letters between October, October Sky and Rocket Boys, it's the same letters. I learned something. I am one of the ten thousand. There you go. So, so when were they? When were the? When were the? Were they building their rockets? They they were doing it right there in in the nineteen fifties. Right after it was one of these. See the launch in October. Work on science fair project for the school year. Work on science fair project for the next school year get accused of triggering fires they didn't actually trigger. 
<laughs> right. And and so they were doing this as teenagers in high school. And Sonny Hickman went on to, I mean, he's a veteran of, of Vietnam. He had a career before going to NASA. But he finally managed to get a job at Marshall Space Flight Center in 1981 as an aerospace engineer. And he was the person who trained the first Japanese astronauts to ever go into space. He assisted with the neutral buoyancy tank that anyone who's ever been to space camp has gone to see. And and eventually he got to train the astronaut crews for everything from space lab to repairing the Hubble Space Telescope um, and repairing Solar Max. He... He was one of those people that just saw how to make things work and also had the soft skills of knowing how to teach other people to make things work. And then he wrote a whole bunch of books. Go find right. them. Right. So, Hal Rickman and his crew, what were some of the other ways that Sputnik inspired the modern space exploration race? Space race. Space race is is clearly the right word. And and when Sputnik took off, uh, the U.S. didn't think we were going to be beat. And, and so this led to an acceleration of transforming missiles into rockets. And and this was actually something that Warner von Braun had really been looking forward to. And so for, for the crew down at Marshall Space Flight Center, that Sputnik launch was a chance to say, hi, please give us all the money we actually need <laughs> to get a spacecraft into space. And we did it. And, and this started the constant one-upmanship between the two nations where we're Russia was the first to get into space. Russia was the first to do a whole lot of things. They weren't the first at Mars. Mars likes to defeat them. Right. But they were, but like after Sputnik, the Americans launched there as well as it Explorer one was the first yeah. American satellite. Yeah. But then, but then the Soviets put a human into orbit, which yes. with Yuri Gagarin. And that was a surprise. And then they had the first yes. woman in orbit. They had the, I, did they do the first space? They did a ton of things. Yeah. One after the other demonstrating that they were masters of spaceflight, relatively speaking. And then the Soviets as part of their space race, helped other nations like China start to get involved. And we here in the U.S. have helped other nations partnering with the European Space Agency, partnering with the Indian Space Agency, now the Italian Space Agency on the DART mission. And and so what we've been seeing is this competition between groups of nations to do amazing scientific exploration. And the recognition that we may have started with a single tiny satellite I could have picked up and walked away with to now working on heavy lift rockets aimed at creating a permanent presence on the moon the way we have a permanent presence in low earth orbit. The potentially a fully reusable two-stage rocket. What's amazing is you go back and you look at the pictures of the rockets envisioned by Werner von Braun, like when he had his Mars project book where he was imagining humans flying to Mars. And you look at the rocket 
it looks exactly the same as the starship. The stainless yes. steel, the same general shape of the rocket itself, this this everything is almost yeah. identical. It's it's kind of amazing how how much. And and I think, you know, when you think about it, like they had figured out the basic laws of physics. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the twenties, even with, with Goddard and, and, and the, the first round of people thinking about, about spaceflight, even the Chinese a thousand years ago had figured out the basic yes. physics of, of this process. Yes. And it was a matter of us not necessarily having the technology, the automation, the experience to make the reality live up to the dream. But, but, but we knew what a rocket should look like. We knew how much energy was required to carry X amount of mass into space, etc. Yeah, it's it, it's astonishing to me. I, th- I think I've mentioned this in previous shows that if you go back, every cool idea that you can think of right now, there is a paper from from the 1960s from NASA that describes it that's it has already been thought of everything uh, yeah. moon bases moon rovers mars missions mars landers um uh inflatable habitats uh mag- artificial magnetospheres everything has been was already thought of back in the 1960s it's just they couldn't carry they couldn't make them happen yet nuclear rockets ion engines everything <laughs> The way I often think of it is as Leonardo da Vinci was to so many decades, centuries of inventions where he could draw the things that were yet to come, including helicopters. Werner von Braun and the people that worked with him had that same futuristic creativity to see what needs to happen in a time when they couldn't actually make it happen. And while it was a long time to go from Leonardo da Vinci's helicopter drawings to actually having helicopters, with Werner von Braun, it's two generations, three generations. Also, Werner von Braun was a Nazi. Just... Well, just, to listen. Yeah. just so people just like people are always like, yeah, but he was a not. Yeah, he was a Nazi. Yes, he was a Nazi. Yeah. He, he anyway. was part of the paperclip project of people that were um, basically the Soviets and the Americans split up the scientists that had been working to develop the V1 and other rockets in Germany. And uh, with the paperclip project in the U.S., they brought them here. And basically gave them forgiveness for whatever else they had been responsible for in exchange for building rockets and putting America yeah. in space. So someone in the chat is saying, but he was our Nazi. Yeah, he was just, he was, he was bought and paid for and he was forgiven and could then build rockets and, and carry the Americans forward into the modern age of space flight. Anyway, just, yeah. you know, just so people... Like people, I don't know, people always say like, they always like, as if we forget that, like, no, like totally was a Nazi anyway. All right. So I think, I mean, I think the biggest ripple implication of the first satellite launch was it leading to humans going to the moon, the Apollo program. Yeah. And that was very much part of that space race where if we could get someone to walk on the moon, that was 
the greatest challenge we can accomplish. And I think the importance of Kennedy's speech, which its anniversary was last week, um, he gave that speech at Rice University and made it clear that we are a nation of basically creative people, and we're going to take that creativity, that will, and that American drive to work hard, and we're going to turn it into the greatest endeavor of humankind. And then he was murdered, assassinated, and that adds an extra willpower to something. So there was the, we're going to do this because we're going to show the world how hard we work, how creative we are, and how well we can engineer things. And we're going to do it for this guy who was assassinated in his honor. And all of those emotions make it so easy sometimes in the grand scheme of hard (laughs) to accomplish masterful things. And I don't think we've had that combination of emotion and desire to prove who we are since then. The the shuttle program with its completely new technology, its completely new way of doing things, the shuttle program in a lot of ways showed the world, hey, we're going to not just fly rockets, we're going to fly space planes. And the Soviets, they tried and one of the greatest sadnesses of the past decade is the warehouse where they were storing the buran the roof collapsed right on top of the spacecraft mm. it 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 breaks my heart that this spacecraft never made it into the museum it belonged in yeah no kidding and and now we're trying to prove without the emotional drive in a lot of ways that we can get back to the moon. And it's become not a passion project because I really think the space race was a passion project. 100% agree. Yeah, it has now become we have to complete this workbook that was assigned to us. Are you, are you talking about the space shuttle or are you talking about just space flight now? I'm, I'm talking about like the SLS that is currently roving very slowly to escape a hurricane. <laughs> right. Um, I, I feel like our new, you have to make it back to the moon by 2024, which we're not going to do, no. um, is really, it has really taken on the emotional energy of, I've been assigned a workbook to complete. Um, yeah. And that just creates a completely different energy around something. But... Sputnik was uncrewed. It was just a robotic spacecraft. And if there's one part of this industry that has grown dramatically, it is robotic spacecraft. I mean, I am using Starlink right now to communicate with you. So I am (laughs) depending on a robotic spacecraft to carry my, my images and, and audio to you. But there are weather satellites uh, communication satellites, military satellites, navigation satellites, space telescopes. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of, of these devices orbiting the planet, making our lives better. And, and what really gets me is that first Sputnik was, like I said, it was something I could pick up and walk away 
being just 23 inches in diameter. And and with that ability, and my hands are off screen, so it just like right off screen would be 23 inches. Um, it would be considered a CubeSat basically today. Mm-hmm. And it was transmitting in two frequencies. It did it for a couple of months. Drag caused it to fall back through the atmosphere. It was a CubeSat. And today on similar CubeSats, we can pack so much more information and and to see us go from launching little tiny things to launching huge things capable of all sorts of things to, again, launching little tiny things, it's fun to see how in a lot of ways we've really gone full circle in the kinds of stuff we're putting into space. Yeah, yeah. There was a, there was a, a paper I was reading or an essay I was reading today, and the guy made the point, he said that, that if people want it, and it doesn't break the laws of physics, yeah. then it's probably inevitable. Yeah. And and like being able to communicate to any other human being on Earth from anywhere on Earth is the kind of thing that we want. It doesn't break the laws of physics. Therefore, right. it's probably inevitable. And we are seeing this as imagined in Star Trek when they pull up, pop out their little communication device and communicate with each other. That's the the path that we're moving to be able to know where we are, to to communicate, to to know the weather, to study the planet, to study the universe. And and Sputnik started out on a sixty five degree inclination orbit, which means that if 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 you have our planet, its orbit was going from plus sixty five north to plus sixty five south every time it went around the planet in about a hundred minutes. And because it was going around the planet in 100 minutes, each 65-degree orbit passed over a different part of our planet. And it was able to pass over pretty much every single human Mm -hmm. in our world. So there was no one who didn't get to be part of this experience. And today we are filling that same kind of inclination orbit with starlinks Mm -hmm. so that everyone can have a chance to use it. And, and so to see the similarities between these projects is something that just brings me delight. And every astronomer, no matter where they are, they can't run. They can have their (laughs) skies ruined by Starlink. Yes. Yeah. This is true. I cannot deny this. Yeah. So this is the, uh, this is the world that we, that we find ourselves in. What do you think the, like the ripples as they continue on, do you think that this this story will remain as important in terms of like space exploration legend about Sputnik and the space race and the and the the feeling? I mean, it's before our time, so we don't know what yeah. it felt like. But I'm sure some people who are listening or watching have this visceral response of of what it was like to know to go from a time when we had there were no artificial satellites to a time there were artificial satellites. Yeah. And do you think that that legend will carry on into into the future? I think the legend will hit in different ways for different people. One of the things that that made me feel like I had a role model, and role models really matter. Representation really matters. I I have this extremely strong memory of in ninth grade being in the back seat of the car with my then boyfriend and we were both nerds and we were reading Timothy Ferris's 
coming of age in the Milky Way book. And we, he lived on Cape Cod. I lived in North in Northern Massachusetts. We were driving him home and, um, we met at space camp. Um, that is the ultimate nerd. Oh my God. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. And, and we were both reading and we hit the part in the book coming of age in the Milky way where it talked about the Harvard college women and the amazing work they did figuring out how to measure distances in space using our Lares, figuring out the, the spectra of stars relate to the temperatures of stars. All of these amazing things that were done by women who society otherwise cast out because they either had physical issues, hearing, or they were too smart to find a husband, which was a thing at the time. And when you're a nerd with the last name Gay, life is kind of hard in the 80s. <laughs> and and sitting there reading about these women who overcame all the societal, yeah, we have no need for you issues, to make these amazing discoveries in the universe. That, that was life-changing for me. And I think that Homer Hickam's books that he's written, I think all of the the books that have have been written about the rocket history by so many different people are going to someday cause some other eighth grader probably sitting in an electric vehicle where you don't worry about the back seat because it's self-driving so you're both in the front seat sharing reading the book and your parents don't have to be with you that's a weird future but we're headed there mm-hmm. i can imagine those kids reading the story of how Sputnik inspired an entire generation and seeing themselves represented in that coal miner's village and deciding I too can build rockets. And that's powerful. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, we've reached the end of our, of our episode. So happy birthday, Sputnik (laughs) one. Congratulations to the, the, Giants standing on the shoulders of giants, standing on the shoulders of giants that yes. got us to this modern space flight realm that we find ourselves in. Thanks, Pamela, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Fraser. And thank you to all of our patrons on patreon.com slash astronomycast. I know times are tough. I've, I've seen people having to give up their, their Patreon accounts and I reached out to a few basically to say, hey, are you okay? Because you've been around for years. Times are tough. And I'm so grateful to all of you who are still here. I would like to thank Gabriel Galfin, Dean, Sean Matz, John Drake, Roland Vormerdam, Sam Brooks and his mom, John Asaf, Corrine uh, Dimptruck, uh, Dahlia. Oh, no, they put a pronunciation guide in there. Thank you. Nice. Nula, I'd like to thank Nula, Bart Flaherty, Connor, the Air Major, Brian Kirby, New Zealand, Arctic Fox, Jordan Turner, Lee Harborn, Jason Cardukas, uh, Papa1062, Robert Hudel, Kim Barron, Vitali, Paul Esposito, Arthur Latzhall, Frank Stewart, Ganesh Schrementhen, Bob Zatsky, Nate Detweiler, Ruben McCarthy, Ron Thorson, Time Lord Iroh, Daniel Donaldson, Ian, Ian Abdelli, Abdella, and Jeff McDonald. 
If you too would like to be part of our Patreon community and have me potentially mispronounce your name in hopefully amusing ways, uh, go to patreon.com slash astronomycast and your your patronage allows us to pay the small fleet of people who are going to suffer through editing this episode that was interrupted by so many random dudes in my driveway causing me to be slightly creeped out. And the dogs. Thank you. And the dogs. And the Thanks, dogs. everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Astronomy Cast is a joint product of Universe Today and the Planetary Science Institute. Astronomy Cast is released under a Creative Commons attribution license. So love it, share it, and remix it. But please credit it to our hosts, Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can get more information on today's show topic on our website, astronomycast.com. This episode was brought to you thanks to our generous patrons on Patreon. If you want to help keep this show going, please consider joining our community at patreon.com slash astronomycast. Not only do you help us pay our producers a fair wage, you will also get special access to content right in your inbox and invites to online events. We are so grateful to all of you who have joined our Patreon community already. Anyways, keep looking up. This has been Astronomy Cast. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.